0: Good morning, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Med Ethics Podcast. Thank you for listening to me. Um, I really appreciate you guys tuning in, just contributing to the ethical dilemmas. Um, I really love talking about ethics and the fact that people listen to me and uh, follow along with ethics bull cases and medical dilemmas in general. Uh, I really appreciate that. So, thank you for tuning in today. Um, last week, we talked about the uh, love drugs case. Uh, which is case number seven of the Ethics Bowl Regionals 2019 set. Um, If you would like that, just go to the podcast episode description and the PDF will be right there. And you can scroll down to page, uh, I believe it is 8 of 16, and it's uh, case number seven. So yeah, if you'd like to pull that up right beside you, it would be easier to follow along. You can do that. Um, Yeah, so let's go ahead and get started on the presentation to the case. So that's going to be all the uh, general discussions, the solutions, the counter-arguments, all of that good stuff. Yeah, so before I start the case, this is a, I don't know if it's a disclaimer, but it's just a general note. So in this case, we're working under the assumption that love can be like an addiction. Some researchers believe that a narrow view of love addiction would hold that one can indeed be addicted to love, but only if these abnormal brain processes are present. So in cases where love is addiction-like or an addiction, then using anti-love drugs can be used to reduce addiction-like tendencies because a healthy, loving marriage can have health benefits and be advantageous for the couple uh, and their children, actually. Uh, Children are a lot of times the main victims of divorce. So using love drugs to bring a relationship together can be useful as well. Um, All right, let's go ahead and get started. So in the case of love drugs, it would be imperative to confirm that both partners have given their informed consent to undertake drug-based relationship therapy, and that uh, drug-based relationship treatment really, and that treatment could be stopped at the request of either partner. So when, usually, when it comes to things like romance, uh, uh, romantic relationships, intimacy, and love, c- uh, con- informed consent is just it's just the biggest thing. It's important. In so many ways, and there's just so many ethical principles that are tied to it, like autonomy, privacy, um, all kinds of things. So, to even to even think about starting a drug-based relationship treatment, both partners need to consent. Both partners need to be informed on what they're consenting to, and both partners should have the ability to ability to stop the treatment whenever they wish. So, on the topic of autonomy and responsibility. One held, belief, one held belief is that people do not choose to love someone, at least not consciously, and it would be a hard thesis to defend that we should be held responsible for falling in love, even though such an occurrence can have very far-reaching and sometimes destructive consequences for those involved. However, while the formation of love seems to be at least largely involuntary, there is a real question regarding how autonomous one's behavior is once one is, in fact, in love. People who are in love make choices every day about how to express their feelings, whether to seek proximity with their loved one or physical affection, whether to make expressions of their attachment a matter of public notice, and so on. So yeah, this is just, we're talking about like the uh, formation of love, kind of, Um, autonomy, all kinds of things. So let's see, hold on. I'm just trying to see what part of the argument I'm on. Okay, so, okay, I was trying to detail brain processes right there, so sorry about that, but I'll go back and uh, we'll talk about it one more time. So people who are in love make choices every day about how to express their feelings, whether to seek proximity, physical affection, or make attachment of matter of public notice. But since we are arguing under the assumption that addictive love comes from abnormal brain processes, then those choices and behaviors might be non-autonomous actions. With this view, some believe anti-love drugs should be used in order to restore autonomy for the patient. So that makes complete sense. If you think love is is just a functioning part of the brain, it's just a normal thing, then it would probably be against your um, intuition to use dr- uh, love-based drugs. But if you already believe that this kind of attachment to love is an abnormal brain process, then using anti-love drugs would, be, would make total sense because we use drugs for so many other abnormal brain processes so using it for love would be no different so especially with cases having to do with domestic abuse or stockholm syndrome like cases of attachment between the victim and their abuser intervention with drugs is especially justifiable justifiable because the victim has already lost autonomy due to their strong love desires so Causing them to sacrifice leaving in order to keep the romantic bond. So at that point, where that kind of syndrome develops in a in a individual, that's problematic and that's an abnormal brain process. So using a drug there would be completely justifiable in order to get them out of that relationship. Um, all right. Next thing is while. Do, while we do recognize that there is a gray area between cases of extreme behavior and normal functions with love, we believe that for someone or some people that there are cases where love is an addiction or addiction-like uh, sensation. In these cases, the drug would be used to try to restore normal neurophysiology using psychiatric drugs like oxytocin used to reduce the reward individuals receive from being close to another person. So, um, yeah so when when love is present in certain cases like this where loving someone is i I don't want to say unconventional because people have different types of love but to the point where it's like stockholm syndrome or domestic abuse then there's definitely an abnormal abnormal brain process present there and it's addiction or addiction like so in that case trying to restore how your brain normally functions using drugs so you have better judgment of your relationships and uh and of your love desires uh, i think uh, i think that's actually very beneficial it should be done so all right the next question is or the next argument is with this drug there would be ne- there would be a need for conditions uh, for the ethical use of anti-love drugs and it would be taken under the guidance of trained professionals we can't just let anyone decide oh you two should not love anymore take these anti-love drugs that's very unethical so all of this should be done by a trained professional with the consent of the uh uh, with the consent of the person who's being harmed in the relationship so the love in question is clearly harmful and needs to dissolve one way or another so that's one of the conditions another condition is the person would want to use the technology so there would be no problematic violations of consent the third one is the technology would help the person follow her higher her or his higher level goals and commitments instead of her or his lower level feelings so a lot of times in these domestic abuse relationships um everything your entire judgment is clouded based on the strong relationship you have with the abuser or the uh, yeah the abuser in the la- relationship so you can't think clearly and understand that you need to get out of that relationship so using an anti-love drug to just get rid of that facade could be extremely helpful. So you can leave that abusive relationship and proceed with your life in a healthy, beneficial way. And another condition is it might not be psychologically psychologically possible to overcome the perilous feelings without the help of anti-love biotechnology, or at least non-biotechnological methods had been already tried or thoroughly considered. So yeah there is definitely a strong backing for the use of anti-love drugs but it's just we just have to make sure all the ethical conditions are met and uh it's really a case-by-case basis because in situations or scenarios of domestic abuse it's obviously yes yes we want you to get out of that relationship so you can stop getting harmed but in other cases it's it's questionable and consent is more in play than anything else so all right We can move on to the next point. Um, All right. So, however, however, these researchers that support anti-love drugs neglect the practical, circumstantial issues very often associated with domestic abuse. So, if the victim is for some reason unable to remove themselves from the physical space of the relationship and administering anti-love medication as a higher authority is eliminating any psychological capacity to tolerate the circumstance. So the vulnerabilities associated with domestic violence may also predispose victims to a lack of social support, community, and financial resources. Removing the neurochemicals that keep these victims in love with their partners in an abusive relationship without providing the means for the victim to physically leave that relationship space seems incredibly irresponsive. In order for love drugs to be used ethically, there needs to be a fifth criterion. The person can conceivably remove themselves from the relationship upon diminishment of love. So I think that might be one of the strongest points of the case. Um, not that it presents a really important point by itself, but it justifies the point before or it, mo- uh, it clarifies it. So not only do you need to diminish the love in an abusive relationship, but once that happens, you also need to give the victim the means to escape that relationship and don't just, because if you don't, then that person no longer feels love, but is still stuck in an abusive relationship in a way that might be worse. So one primary use of love drugs could be for maintaining a marriage that already exists. Maintaining a good marriage can bring important benefits to the person in the marriage So this includes fewer diagnosed health problems over the long run and the short run actually. So while medical researchers indicate that a range of common therapies can indeed be effective in relieving couple distress in many situations, research also indicates that a sizable percentage of couples fail to achieve significant gains from couple therapy or show significant deterioration after progress is made from such couples therapy. So using love drugs could be a way to create results for marriage that will last. All right, so that's, we're kind of shifting gears there. Uh, We're changing from talking about abusive relationships to ones where it's mutually agreed and love has diminished over time, and we're trying to uh, reignite that love. So it's beneficial for both individuals in the relationship and their health. So in addition, there is a moral case for love drugs centered on the idea of Maritial, marital uh, autonomy which just means that couples should be free to shape their marriage in the way which best suits them so as long as you aren't harming yourself or someone else you should have a right to do what you will want to do with your body so if two if there's a couple and they're trying to strengthen their love desire or relationship for each other and they're not hurting anyone else that is their right if both people agree of course to pursue that treatment and um, No one should be able to stop them because of their autonomy that they hold together as a married couple. So that's another important thing. One argument against the use of love drugs is that these drugs uh, to fall in love undermines one's humanity and their sentience because they take away the exact thing that makes us human. By letting drugs with hormones take over natural brain processes, we become more like robots programmed to take things when something goes wrong rather than thinking and dealing with it like a normal human would. People believe that those who would want to truly fall in love should do so without the drug, because in that way they're not using something that superficially enhances the emotion. There are also three main theories about well-being, which I actually want to cover with you guys today. Um, It's not going to be lengthy; it's just going to be a quick, um, just going to be a quick overview. So, one of them concerns desire for fulfillment. Sorry. According to this theory, desire should be freely devised, that is, not forced upon one in any way. If they are forced, then they are not benefiting one's well-being. With this view, if a person desired freely and in a st- state of extreme love, while being fully informed about the nature of their addictive love, then treatment might not be appropriate. Um, so that's the first uh, theory of well-being. I'm looking at the other two theories, and they're, they're not really that relevant to this case, so let's go ahead and move on with the rest of the case. Um, But if you would like to look that up on your own time, please feel free to do so because understanding these theories can really help you with these cases. So, however, uh, in the case of specific drugs, uh, they're treating people as prescribed medicine, not just as a drug someone can take on their own whenever they please. So this argument is reminiscent of arguments against antidepressants, which might say that happiness felt after using them is artificial and that people who take them won't feel happiness the same as everyone else. So these drugs like antidepressants are for treating serious illnesses that are altering someone's state of mind. Um, So yeah, that's the entire presentation of the case. If I had to make a solution, I would say like these neuro, there's definitely plus sides and there's also downsides which is like almost the entire last part i read about humanity um, sentience desire fulfillment all that stuff so if i had to make a solution i would say these neurochemical enhancers would be should be used in conjunction with counseling and or other controlled activities to facilitate communication and the pursuit of joint goals and ideals between couples so any, any drug used by itself, even if it's both consensual, consensual from both individuals still might not be effective unless it's paired by clear communication and uh, professional help. So if I had to make a solution in one sentence, that's what I would say. Um, all right then. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Med Ethics Podcast. I hoped you enjoyed that relatively medical um, ethical dilemma. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to stay ethical.